podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. And today I'm joined by Amy Canavan. Hopefully Natasha will join us a little later. Loads to talk about, Amy. We've had a tremendous weekend in terms of Celtic, the performance, the goals, everything clicking into place just at the right time, as Ange told us it would, I've got to say. Uh, We're also going to be speaking about the game coming up. Um, When's the fixtures out? Tell us, when's the fixtures out? Has it been announced? That that's the last thing I was going to check. Uh, to try and figure out if we could possibly, uh, or when we could possibly wrap up the league. I'm not getting ahead of myself. I'm just looking at all the eventualities. We'll also be talking about a certain Bonnie Rig Rose doing the business at the weekend. Amy, you know all about that. Uh, and a few other things. Before we get started, I love a bit of the old um, creativity on Twitter. right? And I think anybody who's aware of Celtic Curio will be aware of his work. He's just dropped this morning. There's one of Paul McStay following Caesar and Jinky. Beautiful cardboard, postcard-sized bits of artwork. Get on it. It's at Celtic Curio. There you go. His artwork's brilliant. He's a big Celtic fan, and that's what it's all about. Amy, we will start with Saturday. So much to talk about. Um, 7-0. And it was one of the games that I think we had 10 shots on target. Scored seven of them. Um, quite a few others going over the bar. There was a chance from Hatate, a chance from Jota, a chance from Abada. We're playing in such a way that at this moment in time, that performance for me looked as though Celtic were unstoppable. Uh, we're clicking at the right time and said it would happen. How impressed were you with that performance on Saturday? It seems every few weeks I'll say that's the best performance yet under Ange, but I think that one definitely is, certainly up to date. Um, that was everything you could have wanted. Relentless, ruthless, everything in between. Um, non-stop is a perfect way to describe it. We don't stop. Um, and, and that was totally exhibited on, on Saturday. If you kept playing an hour 30 minutes, you wouldn't have thought that many of those players would have tired and it would have just been 8, 9, 10, and it probably should have, could have been that um, within the 90. Not uh, a one single player under a, an eight or a nine. Um, don't know if Tony done ratings the other night. Never saw them. Um, but if he's given anybody less than an eight or a nine, then he's been awfully harsh. Um, I thought everyone was exceptional. You know, Joe Hart didn't even have a lot to do. Obviously, as a 
as a goalkeeper in the defensive sense, but getting movement going, getting plays and, and passing passages of play going. Um, he was instrumental in that. And I just thought, yeah, to a man, everyone was outstanding. Um, not to, you know, you can only beat who's in front of you, that old cliche, not to diminish what Celtic done because Celtic were simply outstanding. I do think that is one of the worst sides I've ever seen come to Celtic Park. I thought St Johnson were absolutely horrific. Um, in every department and I think it's a real worry for them you know where they've really came from last season to this season um, that that is really one of the worst premiership sides I've seen in a long time um, when you look at you know who's around them when Dundee came to Celtic Park just a few weeks ago you know they weren't great but they still got on the score sheet got in behind Celtic St Johnson didn't threaten once um, so absolutely not to take anything away from Celtic because you can only beat who's in front of you but um, I think it's a, a real worry for for St Johnson, the kind of performance they put in, but yeah, Celtic absolutely relentless. They were, and like you say, we're playing a team who won a double last year. You know, they won a double, and I think that the job that um, Callum Davidson's done at, at St Johnson has been remarkable. I always feel that when someone does so well, and I'm not going to say a lesser club, but a more provincial club and that that's what St Johnston actually are because I always look at Perth I look at the stadium I look at the football team and I compare them in many many ways to Dunfermline similar size population similar size stadium and I always think that I don't I don't look at St Johnston as punching above their weight I, I think at this moment in time Dunfermline are underperforming but you don't expect them to win a, a trophy and and what they did last season was incredible um, he should have won the, the manager of the year without any shadow of a doubt. I know they've lost a few players. But with that in mind, and I don't think they're going to be caught by Dundee, barring an absolute um, you know, miracle, they're not going to be caught. But I was looking at the game at the weekend and, and Dundee were fresh in my mind because they came and made it really difficult for Celtic under Mark McGee. Uh, talking of which, did you see Charlie Mulgrew's comments on McGee? I did see that. He's coming up quite regularly with these uh, comments that are going to continually go viral and he's given people a great way to uh, respond to to cheeky folk on Twitter just play a Charlie McGrew comment Um, but I think that when Celtic come out the traps at you like that they don't give you a moment to breathe then it's going to be difficult for anyone um, to actually live with it I'm going to speak about the goal the goal um, because I've seen it time and time again there was a conversation raging on our WhatsApp about how many passes were included. I remember back when Dembele scores that goal against St Johnston. Correct me if I'm wrong, 24 passes completed. Yet the final ball by Lustig was a bit special. We know that every player on the park for Celtic touched the ball, including the goalkeeper. It was a special goal. Now, against the same opposition, potentially we've we've made double the amount of passes. And I asked um, our resident Stato, Alan Morrison, around the likelihood of a goal coming after 40-odd passes. Um, There was a stat in a book that I thought was excellent called The Numbers Game, and there was a wee graph, and it was looking at number of completed passes, and not necessarily resulting in a goal, um, but when you look at seven and above, so passing movements of seven passes and above, only 0.9% success rate. now, I say to Alan, these are old stats and how have they changed? And Alan was explaining that because of the way that uh, midfield's compact, I mean, you look at the f- the fact that we could play seven passes quite easily between Carter Vickers and Starfelt before someone else gets the ball. Things have changed, but even though things have changed remarkably in the modern game, 
Amy, 40-odd passes. The finish was sublime. One of the best moves I think I've seen at Celtic Park. And it started, and we'll talk about a lot of these players individually. It starts off with Greg Taylor, with a bit of showboating, right at his own corner. Brilliant. Didn't panic. Um, Let's start with Greg Taylor then. How much of that was down to confidence? Because he took loads of touches of the ball. Stevie May was trying to close him down. He wasn't content with just kicking it off the player for a throw-in. He plays the ball. Celtic retained possession. It eventually gets to Carter Vickers, who goes on an Ayer-like run. Can I say that? It was Ayer-esque. He goes on a wee rampage. um, And he gets the ball uh, moving forward. But let's start with Taylor. Taylor has come in for a bit of criticism. Um, I think you've been a champion of Greg Taylor. I'm in the fan club. You're in the fan club, yes. You, you were a founding member of the Tony Ralston fan club. Um, you're in the Greg Taylor fan club. I think he's coming to the point now with these performances and the consistency of performance where it's very difficult for anyone uh, to criticise or, or disagree with the fact that he's by far and away the best left back at the club. Asterisk, uh, I've got to say, as a footnote, I have previously said that Juranovic is the best left back at the club. I take it back. At this moment in time, Far and away, Greg Taylor's performances um, are better than anybody else in that position. Uh, so what's your thoughts on Taylor's performances and in particular Saturday's performance? I think he just looks so comfortable. You And that all does come down to confidence. Um, you know, the common denominator here with, with every player actually is confidence that, that Andrew's really instilled in them. But yeah, Greg Taylor's just playing so comfortably. Um, you know, would you have seen that maybe even five, six months ago from Greg Taylor showboating down in that corner? I don't think so. Um, and that's even when I was in the fan club that has been long going um, on Facebook Messenger. Um, but yeah, I... I do think that he is just reveling really in his role. I think that the confidence that Ange has in him is instilling the confidence in in his play. You know, that now he is getting to be first choice. It's not Juranovic and, and forcing Ralston in as well. Forcing's the wrong word actually. Um but he is he is the number one, and now he knows he's the number one. The jersey is his that that cliche. Um, but yeah, to start off that move that the on Saturday, it was exceptional. You're thinking that's can't be Greg Taylor. You're thinking is Jota drop back? Is somebody drop back? Because it was so cool, calm and collected. Um, and you know the the eventual pass as well. It was executed perfectly. So I think it's imperative that you're seeing Greg Taylor really grow into this. Um, you know he's not had the the easiest career at Celtic. He walked into a side of of complete winners and then wasn't the, the, the winners of last season. Um, and it's been tricky because the, the fan base have really got on, got on his back at some times thinking that he wasn't at the, the level that he should be. And, you know, anyone who's having to follow in the, the footsteps of Kieran Tierney, the comparisons are always going to be um, re- really tough and really hard to come by. So I'm absolutely delighted for him. And I think he's improved a lot. You know, even being in the fan club, there's no two ways about it. He has improved drastically probably since the turn of the year. I just think that confidence is oozing um, and it's fantastic to see. It is. Now, we're currently sitting with the two of us, but let's go for a treble and invite into the broadcast Natasha Mikkel. Now, hopefully you're not the last treble of the season. (laughs) Natasha, we're talking about fan clubs and the fact that Amy has been in a couple, uh, in fact, she's set up a couple of fan clubs this season and last. Um, Greg Taylor, his performance and overall Celtic's performance at the weekend, um, so much has been said about Taylor over the, the piece 
Uh, some Celtic uh, Axon contributors, such as Lawrence, has always supported them. Others have said, you know, we need to try and maybe get Liam Scales a few games, etc. I myself said that Juranovic should be playing left back. But what a performance he put in on Saturday. He did, um, and that could be said, as you guys already have, about a number of players in the team. All of the players in the team, to be honest, put in some performance on Saturday. But the thing about Greg Taylor is that, for me, he just keeps getting better and better. Every performance seems to improve on his last. His derby performances in particular stand out. But it's not just that. He doesn't just get himself up for the, for the big games now. He's someone who performs consistently well and someone you can now start to really rely on in that left-back slot. And like I said, every game he does seem to be improving on his previous performance. And I think his performance against St Johnston kind of epitomised that. He was exceptional, albeit he did not have a lot to do defensively. We can acknowledge that. But going forward, he really contributed to the movement of the team. Some of the positions you were seeing him pop up in, you have to remind yourself, you know, that's our left back. Mm-hmm. Look who he's playing. Look who he's exchanging passes with in some of these movements. You know, he's your designated left back. And I think what he's done is allowed us the freedom to keep Juranovic at right back. I think that's clearly his best position. And Juranovic, I thought, was absolutely outstanding against St Johnston as well. Another game where we're attacking a lot really suits a player like Juranovic. So being able to rely on Taylor over on the left, keep Juranovic on the right. So for me, one of Juranovic's best games. So. I mean, what we're really seeing is the squad are absolutely coming on to form at the right time, aren't they? You know, there's every player we could go through the squad and say that was one of their better performances. And we're seeing that every week now. Mm-hmm. Every week we're beginning to say they're improving, they're improving, that's their best, that's their best. They just keep getting better. And I think it's just, you know, a sign of the way the team are playing. We really are in our groove at the moment. We're playing well. We've got a lot of great options available to us. We've got quality on the pitch. We've got quality on the bench. And just using it to perfection. And isn't it just the perfect time of the season for all this to be clicking in the way that it is? Oh, absolutely. I'm going to bring up something that was discussed long and hard about the tempo, not only that Celtic play at under Ange, but train. And mm. how it's maybe taken a while for people to adapt, players to adapt to that that system and the the intensity of the system. Before we talk about it, though, let's get some of the comments coming in on YouTube afternoon, ASM1. Afternoon to you as well. If you are watching on YouTube, make sure you subscribe. There's free, uh, there's prizes going out free just for subscribing. The first one is a Celtic retro concept jersey. You will have seen pictures of Alan Rambo McAnally um, modelling it for us uh, in the form of artwork and we have the jersey. It's an old West Germany away um, jersey, or the style of, uh, but it's got a big shamrock on it. It is an Axom jersey, and we will be giving it away. Also, there's a gig, and it's uh, being hosted by First Star. Now, it's at the... um, Let me just check the details. SEC Armadillo, and it's on the 29th of May, 2022. And what about this for a lineup? Martin O'Neill. Head of, the, head of the gang, Chris Sutton, Paul Lambert, McNamara and Lubo. Wow. Not a bad yeah, five-a-side team, eh? Yeah. <laughs> so that that is a lineup. We've got a couple of tickets at the moment. We might have a couple later as well, but we've got a couple of tickets. And this week, we'll be giving away the tickets. We'll be giving away the jersey. And we'll probably do it live as well. So get subscribing because there's loads to look forward to. What a brilliant game on Saturday, says Alexander Wilkinson. It was. Was that the best of the season, do you think? 
It could be. Um, I heard Amy just before I came on say that it was, and it's, it's hard to disagree with because it was that good. I mean, it was a whole package, wasn't it? You know, you're coming off the back of that result against Rangers, and you know, not all our fans, as we know, got to, to celebrate that together at, at Idrox because of the ticket situation. So we then have, you know, the sort of first celebration of everyone together celebrating that result back at Celtic Park at three o'clock on a Sunday. The sun was shining, seven goals. You're playing football like we were. I mean, that was the whole package, really. It was just, it was just perfect. Um, and we were in such good form. And I think Amy's touched on it. Yes, we have to take into account the fact that St Johnston are not the best team in the league. Um, but let's not take away from Celtic. We passed the ball around them like they were there. We didn't give them the opportunity to yeah. be in that game because of the way that we were playing. Um, I think if I was a St. Johnson fan, and I've spoken to a few of them about this, you know, we touched on that however many passes it was before the goal. What was it, 46, something like that? It was a lot. Um, the one thing that he said stood out for him is that if he'd been coaching a football side, someone puts a fall in, you don't let a team play 46 passes round about you without someone at least, you know, putting the foot in, win the ball back by whatever means necessary, you know, yeah. commit a foul. You know, they didn't pick up any bookings. So from that perspective, you know, they really didn't lay a glove on Celtic. And is that because of a fault by them? Or is it because they couldn't get close to us? Now, I, I, my argument is that they couldn't get close to us. You know, they couldn't get close enough to, to come out the foul and, and give away a free kick and break up the play a bit. But the form that Celtic are playing in is really something. And at the moment, it is absolutely epitomising Angie's we-don't-stop mantra. You know, nothing more so than the fact that with, what was it, four or five minutes to go, we had a corner and there's three players running to take it. You know, seven a lap, there's a couple of minutes left and you've got three players sprinting towards the corner to get the ball back into play. And, you know, they take a short corner and we're away again. And, you know, that's what's really impressive for me is not just the performance, but the energy and commitment that the players are putting into it. And it shows that they all really are up to this intensity that Ange Postacogli wants them to play at. And something you just mentioned is, you know, the, the training sessions, apparently that's exactly the same. At Angie's more sort of recent fan conference or, or what it was, um, he spoke about the training sessions and how he changed them. Mm -hmm. um, one thing he said was he doesn't like long, drawn-out training sessions with lots of different elements and lots of different, you know, routines to go through. He likes his training sessions to more mirror what he wants to see on a pitch and what he wants to see during the games. And for that reason, he's condensed his training sessions. He's kept them a lot shorter, but they're played at high intensity. One of the examples he gave was that, you know, when players are moving one from one exercise to the other, he's got them running between them. Mm -hmm. So you can just sort of picture, you know, you finish one and you're sprinting to start to do the next. He wants that intensity, not just on the pitch, but in training as well. And he said that whenever, you know, Kennedy McManus, whoever it is, is making the training sessions up, He'll only run it if they can tell him how it is going to relate to the game that they're playing and how it's going to relate to the what he wants to see on the pitch. Mm -hmm. So the performance at the weekend really showed how he has completely changed the, the way that this club are playing, the way the team are playing, the way he wants to see them playing. And it's for the best because that's the football we want to see. That's what gets the fans out of their seats. And that's what makes Saturday the, the spectacle it was, is the way he likes to play football. It's the way the fans like to see it played. Oh, definitely. And I'm just thinking while you're talking about the, the training sessions there, and I'm thinking back even 20 years ago, 
25 years ago, that would have been a difficult session for somebody like me. I think it would be only fair if Alan Brazil um, went up to <laughs> Lennox Town and had one of these sessions and it should be filmed. I think that would be excellent um, just to get that on camera. I it's decorating. Best football I've seen us play in years. Every player has bought into the manager and system. Hopefully the can play a part on Sunday as he's becoming vital to the team. Jackie Marcus. Oh, is that what we're calling him? Okay, we will be talking about Jackie Marcus. Sorry, <laughs> I didn't pick up on that. It's interesting though because I do talk to people from different vintages and I was talking, and I mentioned this a few weeks ago, um, to one of my old fo- football coaches that I hadn't spoken to in 30 years and he has watched Celtic since the 1950s. He was at the European Cup Finals in 67 and 1970, and he was also in Seville. I don't know how many guys and girls are out there who were at all three, uh, but Mick Hutton from High Valleyfield said this is the best football that he's seen since the Lisbon era. Now, if he says that, I'm believing it. The guy knows his stuff. He's seen it. He's seen it all, good and bad. Um, Ian McGinley, good afternoon from sunny Corby. Big Celtic contingent down in Corby, and I've not yet visited it. So uh, good afternoon to you as well. And Kenny McArdle putting on a show. Absolutely. Was a wee bit of singing going on at the weekend from yourself, Natasha? A wee bit oh, of chatting? maybe. You never know. Might be caught on camera again. <laughs> Potentially. A great, a great atmosphere, a lot of a lot of singing. Um Interesting to see on that note the the boys moved above the away section, mm-hmm. um, sort of slightly changes the dynamic of the stadium and the way that the atmosphere and the way that the singing is. Obviously, you've got the Green Brigade in their corner. Um, on Saturday's game, the boys section were moved above the St Johnston fans, and I understand that's going to be the case for the rest of the season ahead of a proposed second standing section, but remains to be seen for next season. Interesting, very interesting indeed. Welcome to the show, Parry. Always a, an absolute pleasure to see you getting involved. One of the best displays I've seen from us in a long time, Roll On Sunday. We will be talking about Sunday um, as well. There was a few comments after the game. We were talking about that level of performance. Um, before we move on to the other star performers, I mean, there probably was uh, 12 of them, maybe even more. Um, what I would say is Alan Morrison was talking about Starfelt and he was talking about his stats over the piece rather than the actual performance on Saturday because I think it was virtually flawless, the performance. Only downside for me was a couple of injuries, a couple mm-hmm. of niggles that hopefully, um, as IH Decorating said, aren't serious. But let's talk about that that partnership at the, at the central area of the defence, Amy. I mean... I've seen some good and not so good partnerships at the back. We simply didn't have a settled uh, backline last season. And what's happened is we've brought in two players from different parts of the world who have never played together. They've, they've moulded, um, and I think there's now a harmony between the two of them. Uh, and we've got a really good partnership in Carter Vickers and Starfelt. Starfelt has come in for a lot of criticism. I've not seen much in uh, coming the way of Cameron Carter Vickers, but what I've seen there on Saturday, what I've seen against Rangers when it was probably the best defensive performance of the season at Ibrox, is that we have a partnership there that I really don't want to see get broken up. Um, how how good are they and what can we do to keep them together, Amy? Yeah, there's just so much cohesion between them, isn't there? There's a real understanding um, and that's probably been the thing that's been lacking for, for self-defenders for, for quite some time is an understanding of, you know, where each other are. Um, so many slack passes over the years, just simple passes, but it's just not really knowing where your partner is. You don't really see that between those pair. 
Um, I think you see it in the training, um, you know, pre-match, they spend a lot of time together. It's very much a unit. Um, I don't know, maybe I just never really focused on the training before pre-match um, in the warm-up, but I don't, this season I, I really have. And they've really been a real a standout. It is very much a unit. Where one is, the other one is as well. They, they're always together. Um and I think all of that, you know, th- there's no two ways about it. It's in any working relationship. more time you spend with someone, the, the, the better understanding um, and the better rapport that you're really going to going to build up. But I just think that the confidence of Cameron Carter-Vickers in particular just really brings out the best in Carl Starfield. I think he knows maybe that he doesn't need to be the, the number one centre-half. And I think it is Carter-Vickers, you know, he will be happy to step forward, um, you know, or he will drop drop back, sorry, and track the runner. Um, but I just think they really know each other's strengths. Um, they're both very powerful. I think Starfield's fantastic in the air. Um, and I think that's actually what he likes. I just think, you know, if uh, if there's a long ball and he just has to head it away, I think that's his kind of play. Carter Vickers is very comfortable with the ball at the feet, where perhaps Starfield's not, because he's not on the right side, you know, being, being the left foot. Um so I just think there's a real understanding, basically, between the two of them. And, yeah, I think that's crucial to why there's not been too many glaring any mistakes. It's not really been the defensive partnership. It's maybe been, you know, a, a one kind of man at, at fault. But even when you say at fault, you know, it's, it's going to be a human error sometimes. But I think between the two of them at the back, there's just, um, yeah, there's a real solidity. I'm going to have to do a name drop. Have we got a klaxon for a name drop here, Amy? Uh, a few years back, I'm sitting in a, a bar in Spain with Andy Lynch. How good does that story sound? Eh? <laughs> and Andy Lynch was obviously an ex-Celtic captain and he went on to manage over in the States during the NASL glory days of the 70s and the 80s. And we were, we were watching Celtic that night and he was talking about not only the understanding between the two centre-halves, but the goalkeeper behind him, it was Craig Gordon who was playing that night. And that trio at the back being so, so important. And when we look at last season, um, I don't name drop much though, Amy, so, you know, give me that one. But when we look at last season, Natasha, we didn't have that. We really didn't have that cohesion that Amy talks about. We didn't have a commanding figure behind the two centre-halves as well. And now by design or by some form of luck because I mean it must be difficult to bring three new players to the club who are all going to just click and fit and I don't think it's happened overnight we now have in Joe Hart and Starfelt and Carmen Kratovickers a, a trio that has been massive for Celtic this season no more so than against Rangers but the big question is A. How do we keep Kratovickers and B. What does this mean for Chris Julian? Both interesting points. Uh, firstly, how important it is we keep Carter Vickers. I mean, we've said it on here before. I think it's absolutely fundamental. Um, and if the debate rumbles on, if you have to choose one of him or Jota, I think most people are now starting to come down on the side that it should be Carter Vickers. We saw last season how disrupted the back line was, the goalkeeper, the the centre-halves, the, the full-backs. It was just so disrupted. We never managed to get what Amy's just talked about. It was that cohesion, that understanding between them. We've absolutely managed to do that this season and it's something that we didn't expect at the start of the season because we were aware how many players we were going to lose. We were aware how many players who had been there for a while were then going to leave. And one of the risks we saw was not only finding the right appointments in terms of personnel, but making sure that they then worked together and could have a good partnership. And that wasn't just in the defence, that was all across the pitch. 
And by some miracle or by Ange Postecoglou, we managed to make that happen. What seems like overnight, it all happened very, very quickly. This squad of new players just seemed to gel and really, really work together. In terms of the, the back four, I give a lot of credit for that to Joe Hart. Um, the goalkeeping position was one that really, I think, was massively detrimental to us last season. I think it was a position we didn't expect to be in. We've heard recently from Desmond about the issue with Gordon and Forster and how all that came to light. But the goalkeeping position really hampered us last season. What we've done by bringing Joe Hart in is not only bring in a stable first-choice goalkeeper who's going to play every single week, but also someone with the experience and the quality that he does that he can then reassure the back line. Um, and then it's just got that really solid base. And he's managed to sort of, you know, really showed up that back four and himself and it's just been so important. Um, so Joe Hart, absolutely outstanding signing for me. Carter Vickers would be fantastic if we managed to hold on to him. Um, I think ultimately it might end up coming down to the player. I think Celtic will pay and are in the position to pay whatever it takes to, to keep him, but ultimately it's going to come down to Cameron, I think. And you've got to then think, what other options is he going to have there? You know, mm. what options is he going to have? You know, the sort of top teams in England aren't going to, as, as good as he's been this season, the top teams in England are not going to come in for a Celtic centre half at this stage. So then you're starting to look at the lower half of, of English football, if that's where he sees himself. And right now, you know, I don't know who that's going to be. And are any of them going to be a better option than Celtic? Is he perhaps looking at a player like Chris Iron and thinking I could make a move like that? But for that to happen, for me, I think he's got to have more than one really strong season at Celtic. So I think if I was advising him on a career move without any green tinsy specs on, I think I would be advising him that he needs to stay at Celtic for another season and not just have that league experience and that those good performances in the league under his belt, but also see what he can do in Europe and stand out there. So I'm hopeful that that is the advice he's getting, hopeful that he'll stay. Um, and we can, you know, keep this defence and this backline going for, for another season. Absolutely crucial. I mean, you're right. And I think also the international uh, progress that he could make whilst continuing mm -hmm. with these performances at Celtic. Um, you look back at Van Dijk. Van Dijk had to have that um, the move to Southampton before he gets mm -hmm. to Liverpool. Uh, you look at Ayer, once courted by AC Milan, he has to go to Brentford. Great club, Brentford. Very well run. But you're right, if he's got aspirations to get to that top level um, of the English football, then you've got to ask yourself which club would come in for him this summer. And what about the Julien, the question of Chris Julien, Natasha? I, think, he... I, I'm intrigued. I don't know what's happening there. Why is he not featuring on the bench? Um, if he's not fit, fine. You know, I understand that. But why? if he is, why is he not making the bench? I think one or two things is going to happen with, Chris Julian and it's either that he's not fit and that he needs a good pre-season under his belt to become a good option for next season or secondly that he is fit and just seen him and decided that he's not part of his plans so I think it's one of the two of those I'd be surprised if he still wasn't fit but you know that the other consideration you've got to put in there is that there is absolutely no way that we want to upset our back line at the moment you know Julian isn't going to come in and take the place of either Starfelt or Carter Vickers because we can't disrupt that. You know, it's a winning formula. We've all talked about how, you know, good a partnership they've got. We don't want to disrupt that for the remaining however many games of the season. But that doesn't explain to me why he's not even making the bench in case of an injury. Um, especially when Welsh isn't there either. I know Beton can perhaps provide that cover, but 
it's strange to me that he's not even making the bench um, and it's either because he's not fit and he's going to need that pre-season under his belt for next season or because Ange has decided that he's not part of his plans in which we see him move on in the summer. And if he does move on in the summer, then that frees up some money for, for Carter Vickers. That's as ruthless as it gets. That's modern football and that's the yes. way it is. I mean, Chris Julian was excellent for Celtic, scored some important goals. Uh, but, you know, we move on. We move on if that is the situation. I was just looking with interest at uh, Ange Postecoglou's first competitive game in charge of Celtic against Midtjylland at home. Yeah. And that trio was Barkas, Welsh and Beaton. Now, as we all know, Beaton gets sent off um, just before half-time when Celtic were one up. And he was replaced in the return leg with uh, young uh, Murray, uh, who I thought played really, really well in actual fact. And I think he's had a very good season up to getting an injury himself as well. We'll talk about that league in a wee minute, uh, Amy, because you had a more than one eye on that league, uh, Bonnie Rig Rose at the weekend. In fact, you had a hand on the trophy, but we won't get into that. Um, <laughs> here comes another wee comment from Rhino Hatate. Every time I'm waiting on Axel, I'm going live. I have a chuckle at the time. 1,500 Rangers fans disappeared <laughs> from here when Ralston scored the late winner against Ross County. That did happen. There was also the occasion when we scored the last-minute goal against Dundee United and 500 our audience dropped before we even went live. 500 disappeared into the ether, and I'm not sure what happened there. Right. Um, there's an interesting one from the Urban Culture here. Or Culture, sorry. Spare a thought for those who have to decide the club's player of the year. That would take three shows to discuss on here. It would, and it's going to be difficult. But, you know, I'm actually going to throw in my, at this moment in time, um, my choice for player of the year is Callum McGregor. Yeah. He is an unbelievable captain the Celtic Football Club at a time when we really needed someone to, to take that mantle we needed a leader we had several shows devoted Amy to asking the question who's going to be the captain of Celtic after Scott Brown I mean after such a a titan of Celtic uh, history now and folklore as Scott Brown and that man who was given the captaincy and who has embraced it and had one of the best seasons of his Celtic career is Callum McGregor. How impressed once again were you with McGregor at the weekend? The guy doesn't stop. I know we go on about Maeda, and quite rightly so. But what about the work? What about the work that McGregor puts in every single week? Rolls Royce, absolutely Rolls Royce. Um, he just commands everything so well. He knows when to to sit back, when to step forward. His vision is impeccable. Um, and like I say, if he wasn't Scottish and wasn't playing for Celtic, then my God, who knows where he could be? Um, you know, he's walking into so many top sides in England. It's, it's absolutely frightening. Um, and anyone who says he isn't just, you're, you're having a laugh. Um, he is absolutely fundamental to everything that's went well this season, and hence why he's my player of the year as well. Um, you know, if you take, player of the year has to be, you know, if you take him out, if you take that player out, how detrimental is that really going to be to the side? And, you know, he is the most crucial, even more so than Hart for me. Um, you know, not. I, that's probably more because of the, the, the calibre of the league more than anything else. Um, but, you know, if, if you lose Callum McGregor, you just lose all energy. Um, and I think there's a real buzz killed um, when, when he's not on the side. He is absolutely sensational. And, you know, I hope to God that he, he spends his entire career at Celtic. And I think that if he had the chance, I think he really would. Um, and if not, I think it would be around now that he would want to be you know, thinking, right, now's the time that I do need to go down and play down south if I want to or go play in Europe. 
but you, you hear him talk and he is so proud more than anything to be Celtic captain. And that's why I really do think that he'll be here for the rest of his playing career. And, and that's a massive coup. But his relationship with Ange Postacoglu as well is so synonymous. Um, they are in harmony together. And everything that, that um, comes out of one, one man's mouth comes out the next, you know, they are so in tune. Um, and that there is a real relationship, a real rapport there and a real respect. Um, I think you can even hear that, like I say, I say it all the time, but how Postacoglu says, you know, the dressing room is the domain for the players. But the leader in there is then Callum McGregor um, and the trust that he has on him out on the pitch implementing everything that he wants as Natasha right this season. There's extremely intense training sessions. You know, McGregor's right at the heart of that and right at the start of that really as well. Um, he is absolutely sensational and, and yeah, he's, my God, he's, he's the best player in the country. Yes, by some distance, I think, and the consistency he's shown. It's an interesting one because I think last season I probably had some concerns, Natasha, about... McGregor's future, not because of his lack of ability, but because when Brennan Rodgers came to Celtic, I think there are certain players who started thinking differently about their football careers, and I think Kieran Tierney was one of them. Mm. And he's a guy that, you know, we kind of expected at some point he would leave Celtic because he was the best, he was a star man, you knew that he had the ability to make the step up. And I remember actually, we should do some kind of, honestly, some kind of compilation of the, the seven or eight times in, in five years that I've got things right. But I remember when Kieran Tierney went to Arsenal and I says to I asked the question to Kevin Graham, I think, you know, he could take a step up beyond Arsenal. What do you think? And we had that discussion and we were talking about a move to Real Madrid. So I'm going to have to check that show reel because it's not often I get things right, but it looks as though I did on that occasion. Um, but Tierney, I think his head was turned by Rodgers, the way that Rodgers looks at the game and life in general and, and how he's a careerist and he's all about brand Brendan, etc. <laughs> but I was worried that he might have had the same effect on McGregor. And then when you follow up the tenure of Rodgers with the tenure of Lennon and how that ended in last season, how frustrated McGregor was a couple of times publicly about our performances, I did have concerns. And then he's obviously had that discussion with Ange Postecoglou. He's bought into uh, what Ange is selling, as we all have now. And... He is, he's moving on to be my player of the year and potentially having the best season of his Celtic career. Do you think he'll end his career here? Yes. Um, if for, you know, in a word to summarise that, yes, I do. I think if McGregor... I think he was probably at a crossroads when Postacoglu came in in his career. And I think that the options he had were either stay, be the next Celtic captain and end your career here, or start to look at your next option and perhaps move during this big period of turmoil when everything was as it was, perhaps time to abandon ship and focus on your own career and do something else or commit to this and not just commit to this, lead this, drag us forward with Ange Postacoglu together into this new era and he chose the latter and I think by choosing that he has committed his long-term future to Celtic and I'd be very surprised if he didn't end his career at the club. I think he has modelled himself in Scott Brown and, you know, we saw how long Scott Brown was here, how long he was the captain for. And I think that's what McGregor will have in mind for himself. I think he'll keep that armband and keep that position for as long as he can continue to play like Scott Brown did um, at the level that we expect and that we need him to be. I think that's what McGregor will do. And that I can't add anything more to, to what's been said by both you and in the comments and online about Callum McGregor. He is turned out to be exactly the player, the person, the captain we needed when we needed them. Um, and 
cannot give him enough credit for that. And I think for me, that was epitomised by his performance against Rangers and particular his contribution to, to that goal when the team were behind. Um, he literally dragged us forward um, mm-hmm. and made sure that we got that goal. He, the very definition of taking a game by the scruff of the neck and getting us back onto level terms. And I think what he did there is, is almost what he has done with the squad since he became captain. We were in, we were behind, we were down, we were in a negative position and he has taken it upon himself um, on his shoulders to pull the squad and pull the whole club forward. He did it against Rangers and he's been doing it all season um, behind the scenes, on the pitch, off the pitch. And yeah, if he doesn't get played of the year, I would be very, very surprised. Yeah, he definitely deserves it. I'm going to bring in some more Comments from the troops in the comments section. Sean Ross, afternoon all from sunny Northampton. It's great being a Tim. Yes, it is. I've been in Northampton once um, a few years ago. Happy Mondays. Well, absolutely. After performances like we have been seven up over the last couple of weeks, there's been a few happy Mondays. And um, just a, a couple of points to note. Uh, it was pointed out to me at the weekend by our very own Lawrence Conley that the, the the collage behind us on the background is a number of big games and not so big games in Celtic's history. And the one that's currently just above me, you can just see it there, Celtic 3, Dukla Prague 0. Whoever put that score on the ticket put the wrong score because it was actually 3-1. So <laughs> this was from a clip. I actually got that picture when I was doing the, the jersey book and this collector put all his match tickets down. And in all the time we've done this broadcast, no one's ever picked us up on the fact that that was wrong until Lawrence did at the weekend, so cheers for that, Lawrence. The other part of the background I want to uh, bring up to your attention as well is the awards that we've got up there, because of all the awards that Celtic State might have won, the very bottom one there, Best Charitable Campaign in Bronze, we got third prize that time. That is the the most proud I've ever been um, and involved with Axon, because what we managed to do is the Axon team, along with various other Celtic podcasts, bringing together a community of Celtic podcasts for um, one aim, and that was to raise money during the, the COVID pandemic and the lockdown for four massive charities. Mental health was one of them, homelessness, um, kids who were underprivileged. Um, and, you know, when you look at the, the want and the need of all these charities then and, and uh, Food Bank and Pennycook, then I think the Celtic fans... Uh, pulled 26 grand together and it was because of that community spirit, not only of the fans who got involved but also the podcasts who got involved because we brought everyone together Uh, and this year we'll be doing something similar um, but it will be a wee bit different last year obviously we supported St Mary's £28,000 plus was raised for St Mary's and I think it's important to look at that with pride, everybody who's been involved and it is important to know that uh, people looking elsewhere with no skin in the game, thought, wow, what an achievement the Celtic fans have, have actually had there. So that's the reason we continually mention that particular achievement. Wouldn't it be great to uh, have a charity drive to get Alan Brazil up for a session at Lennox Town? There's an idea. I'm going to write that one down, just in case. Um, now, we can't go through today's show without talking about Matt O'Reilly. My God, what a player he is, eh? I mean... Everything about him is just right. He's one of these guys that only needs two touches. We talk about Yakimakis only needing one. Most of what O'Reilly does is he, he collects the ball and he passes and he knows what his, his passing ability is incredible. 
it was interesting that uh, Alan Morrison on his Twitter page was going on about of all the signings, he could be the one that actually eclipses everybody else because he's got everything in abundance, all the criteria that you require to be a top-class player. But he's only 21. I mean, Amy, here's a guy who actually was out the game entirely for six months. He was completely out the game on a point of principle, you know, and he's managed to get back in MK Dons. Celtic bring him into the club in January, and I've got to admit, I didn't really know much about him when he came in. Um, he's now a Denmark under-21 internationalist. He's the type of guy that um, Rogic, you never want to lose Rogic, but you've now got a player and it's almost like for like in terms of their impact, what they can do out of nothing in the box from distance, even with his head now. O'Reilly, what an impact he's made, Amy, and for just over one and a half million quid, um, he is pushing Joe Hart. I mean, Joe Hart's going to win pound for pound the best signing of the, the season, but O'Reilly's up there. What a player he's been. Yeah, what a steal, um, and, and what a find, um, you know. And remember the whole, you know, the fact that he he was Plan B after Riley McGree, um, everything like that. It just, you know, want to watch, want to want to watch with him. He's so so mature, plays so far beyond his years. Um, like I say, he's younger than me, um, but yeah, he is he is exceptional. He, and even he only needs, you know, our cameo performance, um, and and he can still the impact he can have, you know, for only playing forty five minutes at the weekend there, uh, it's, it's unreal. He, he beds in so so seamlessly, um, you know, any time he comes on, even if it's the hour mark, seventy five minutes, but he's right in there. He doesn't take any time to really build into the game. We used to say that quite a lot that you know what's the point of making a sub in the seventy fifth minute? Takes him five minutes to bed in. That does not happen under Ange Postecoglou. You know, you look at Hugo's impact the other day, right off the bench as well. Um, and I, I know we'll touch on that. But yeah, for, for Matt O'Reilly to to finish that move, that goal, the way that he did in the manner, you know, well one that takes a hell of a lot of confidence because um, that's an emphatic finish. But also. My God, imagine if you're the guy that ruins that whole move and, and, and doesn't hit the back of the net after those 46 passes. Um, not that he'd have been thinking about that, but no, he is, he's so instrumental. He, he's pulling all the strings. Um, and the fact that, you know, if he starts instead of Rogic, the fact that it's not seen as a downgrade or anything like that, that's as much credit as you can give any player. You know, the fact that you are already basically on parallel with Tom Rogic, still you know, loyalty, I'm going to stick with with, with Rogic, but, you know, nobody looks at the team line and O'Reilly's in and Rogic is not, nobody huffs and puffs, you know, it's just like, fair enough, it's game time um, because they are so on par with each other, but for Matt O'Reilly to be doing that at 21, only being here a matter of weeks, really, um, the, the impact that he's had straight away um, and, and he's one guy that gets it you know, obviously, like after after the first Glasgow derby, his first Glasgow derby, sorry, um, at Parkhead, the buzz, you know, even up in Aberdeen, everything. He is just he's loving his football as well, and that's evident. As you, you rightly say, that's him now kicked off an under twenty one international career as well with Denmark. He's making all the best strides that he possibly could in in, in twenty twenty two, um, and you just hope that it's only going to get better for him because, like I say, if you've got this skill set at twenty one. What are you going to be like at 25, 26, 27 when you're meant to be at your peak? It's incredible, um, you know, when you consider his age because he has got in front of him a platform. And this is what Celtic, as fans, we realise, we give players like him a platform where they can not only develop um, as footballers and hopefully as people, but they can develop their careers. And we, we understand as Celtic fans that a lot of these players will be looking at Celtic um, as a platform, but not 
too quickly should we be looking to offload the likes of O'Reilly. One of the, those players who did use Celtic as a platform was Stuart Armstrong and Michael89 um, says that O'Reilly reminds me a bit of Stuart Armstrong. Crazy that he's only 21. Looks like he will be a top player. Uh, you were at the game, Natasha. I mean, the impact he made from... I was saying at half-time, what do you do when you're 3-0 up? Often it's difficult to actually you know, build on that. Uh, but we did, and I think a big part of that was bringing that energy of O'Reilly onto the park. Yeah, I think so too. And like Postacoglu said, it was an opportunity to give Matt some minutes on the pitch. And how much does it speak to the strength and depth that we have in the squad that we can take off a player like Rogic after 45 minutes and not lose the quality in the middle of the park because you've got someone on the bench who is equally as good? Um, it's, it's absolutely a brilliant issue to have in terms of which one we, we start. And I think, you know, given his age and the, the way Rogic's career is probably going to go over the next season or two, Matt O'Reilly is a natural replacement for Tom Rogic and it's great that we've not waited until Rogic has left before we do that. I think, you know, we might only get another season if we do out of Tom Rogic. You know, maybe this is the last one, maybe next is the last one. But what Postacoglu and Celtic have done by the recruitment that we've had is stop making that so much of a concern. You know, you look at last season and you look at some of the key players who were worried about losing we were all very stressed about where those replacements were. Um, one of the key players that we might lose in Rogic, we already know who the replacement's going to be because he's already playing alongside them. Um, and Matt O'Reilly, for me, isn't just a good footballer. I really like um, who he seems to be as a person. Um, we've already sort of touched on it as reasons for being out of football. But And he said in plenty of interviews, you know, football for him isn't about money and he turned down opportunities for, for money or better money that would see him sitting on a bench or not playing football. This is a guy who just wants to play football. Um, and for someone at 21 years of age to be focusing on the non-financial aspects of his career, thinking about his career progression as a whole, where he needs to be at this stage, um, even if that's not the most lucrative option, I really like that he's got that sensibility about him and that he is thinking like that and that he's someone who just wants to be on the pitch and playing his game. Um, I like that about him. Um, I like him as a footballer as well. So I think he's going to be a really important player for Celtic in the in the coming years. And touching on the, the strength and depth we have in the middle of the park looking towards next season, um, you've also got someone like Idiguchi in there. You know, he's someone we've not seen anything of really this season, one that we've been told is one for the future. So already we have more quality and depth lined up and he's someone else that um, could end up being important for us as, as some of the other players start to move on in their careers over the next few seasons. So it's not only this season that we've recruited exceptionally for. By signing players at the age we are, O'Reilly, 21, Gucci's young, Abada's young, we really are preparing for you know future seasons as well. So this really is only the beginning under Ange Postacoglu. No, it is. Um, by the way, Kevin Graham, poet, because he does have a book out of uh, mm -hmm. Hemlet Larson Poetry, by the way, which you can buy from maxom.net. You did say that, Paul, I confirm. Yes, I did. I said he would go from Arsenal to Real Madrid. Wow. I did get something right almost. Michael McCready. Julianne, this is interesting. Julianne would be an awesome option to stay as a team squad player and even pushing up for a goal when he did in the last 10, 15 minutes. He just needs a fit pre-season. This is the big thing about um, uh, Julianne. Yeah, he's come back to match fitness, but he needs to get to Ange fitness, doesn't he? Mm -hmm. And he might need a pre-season uh, to get to that. Yeah, he would be a great option. And I, I guess it comes down to whether or not the player would then be happy to be a backup. Um, but I think that when we're talking about the Rogic-O'Reilly dynamic and then on the right-hand side we had 
we had uh, James Forrest and Abada fighting for a jersey, you know, and it's only good. Now we have the same fight up top. It's only good for the squad. And it will be interesting to see how um, that transpires as well. We did have the return, Amy, uh, the long-awaited return after four months of Kyogo. And I think that uh, Angie even gave him a wee kiss on the head before he went on the park. Did you notice that? Wouldn't you? Of course I would. <laughs> yeah. If I met him in Ikea, I would do that. You know what I mean? <laughs> It was, you know, that's one of the greatest receptions um, that I've seen at Celtic Park for, for any one player. Um, it's just fantastic to have him back. The fact that you can bring him on in this kind of manner of, of game, you know, the stage that um, the, the game is at, you just bedding him in. Um, but as I kind of alluded to earlier, it didn't take much for him to to, know, to fall back into, to, into his old tricks. Um, even though perhaps that pass was from a slightly deeper position um, than we're used to seeing him. But, you know, that even just shows not only is he a finisher, what an assist as well. I know it's the, the assist of the assist, but, um, you know, that, that pass uh, make, makes the move for, mm. for a badass goal. It's great. It's so important at this stage of the season just to get him back. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's a whole buzz now around the stadium, isn't it? Um, around the club, around the fans, even those who, who weren't there, um, he is absolutely, you know, we're talking about Cal McGregor, but, you know, what Cubo what brings to the, the side is, you know, in, incredible. And it's actually quite exciting because you're just like, well, I've not even seen him play with Maeda, with Hatati, with O'Reilly, um, even really with Yakamakis an awful lot. Certainly not this Yakamakis. So it's it's mental, actually, the, the strength and depth that, that Ange Postacoglu has really got at his disposal. You look at that bench, you know, at the start of the season, we were looking at the bench going, yikes, my goodness, could you even trust maybe making one, two subs? Um, and now you're like, wow, just bring them all on. Um, that The five-sub rule really is playing right into the hands of Postacoglu, the way that he likes to play, keeping up the intensity. Um, and I don't think that can be undermined as well, the, the, the five subs. Um, but, yeah, to have Kyogo back, it's just a smile on everyone's face, really. Yeah, and you know, that's interesting. You were saying when he came on the reception. I'd love to look back at the reception that Henrik Larson got when he came yeah. back from his leg break because I bet it's similar. And it just mm. shows you how much of a hero Kyogo has become in a short space of time uh, with the, the Celtic fan base. That pass was nothing short of sublime, wasn't it, Natasha, where he played in um, Maeda, mm. who very unselfishly, by the way, <laughs> held back and, and, and left Abada to slot it away but it just gave us a glimpse of what we've been missing and I think at this time of the season it's absolutely massive our, our biggest challengers are losing star players we're bringing them back in yeah, I mean, at this stage of the season, it's so important to have your full complement of players available to you. And pretty much we have that right now. Obviously, we're waiting to see about the Jack Marcus injury, but it doesn't sound like it's going to be too serious. I know Forrest is still on the fringes. But looking you know, at the bigger picture, we've got a full complement of exceptional players available to us. And what a position for Postacoglu to be in at this stage of the season. A lot of huge, huge games coming up. And he can afford, depending on how the game's going, to take players off after 45. You know, you're talking about every game being a cup final and you get to half time and he's able to take players like Tom Rogic off because it's going so well. Mm -hmm. And that's only going to continue for the rest of the season if we're in a position that we can do it because we've got the quality we do on the bench. And I think that we are going to end up seeing a good bit of squad rotation. I think there's going to be a good amount of, you know, 60-30 splits. I think he's not scared to make changes early, as we've seen. Um, and it's so important that if you are making these changes that the that the quality doesn't drop and it doesn't 
because you know you're replacing players like Rogic with O'Reilly. Um, you're bringing on players like Kyogo. You know you may have a bad on the bench to come off the bench. I mean that that's exceptional talent that you're bringing on for the last thirty minutes of a game, and it, it, you know it really again drives home that we don't stop. And how demoralising must it be for another team to get to sixtieth minute, be whatever the score is at the time, and see. Abada and O'Reilly and Kyogo warming up at the side of the park. I mean, that must just be, you know, a real blow for them that we've still got that, you know, in reserve to bring on the pitch. And while you don't want to, you know, change up a winning side too much, the fact that we are able to, you know, really rely on such a large group of players is so important. And I think it helps with something that Anne wrongly keeps getting asked about as well, which is complacency. I mean, there's absolutely no indication in the slightest that this team has an inkling of complacency in them. And I think because there's so many players vying for the positions, that that doesn't even come into the equation. Like Postacoglu said, you know, we've got a squad of, you know, 23, 24 mm. players all desperate to be on the pitch. In what world are any of them going to be complacent? They want their place in the side that are doing so well. So I think, again, that really helps the performances on the pitch is the competition for places um, and this side are far, far, far away from complacent and like Postacoglu said, you know, we're not trying to consolidate a lead or hold on to a lead or anything like that. We're putting our foot on the accelerator and we're driving home to the finish um, and it's exciting to position to be in. It is and I'm actually looking towards Angie's third transfer window in the summer and I'm mm-hmm. looking at the players who are on the periphery of that first team who don't seem to be in the plans, players that came in on big money and you know I'm thinking they're on big wages and you, you know if we're able to offload them and bring in four or five and type signings then next season could be even more scary for the opposition. Brown Warrior, uh, you worry if he will come back on the same levels and he picks that pass with one of his first touches, wow I think it was astonishing and this unique angle that the Celtic TV guys and the media guys have got is, is a great way of seeing it from a different angle and, and the vision that he must have pinpoint accuracy to, to pick out Maeda, who actually brought that ball down really, really well. That's maybe forgotten about because obviously he never scored the goal. Um, and the underwater cabbage salesman, who I've got to say was the winner of the Simple Minds tickets last week, um, who comes in for Yakamakis Abada or Kyogo. Um, but the reason I bring that up is obviously we do have a couple of uh, tickets to go to the uh, Armadillo and uh, it's at the end of uh, May to see a star-studded cast including Martin O'Neill and Paul Lambert and Jackie McNamara and Chris Sutton and uh, Lubo um, doing a, a big Celtic uh, evening Q&A session. So all you need to do subscribe on on the YouTube channel. Who comes in? Well, there's no guarantee that Yakimakis won't start um, at the weekend either. And uh, the big thing will be, going back to what you said about complacency, Natasha, how often has Ange been asked that question? You know, how do you get the players to focus on a game-to-game basis? And I wonder if that question will be asked for this weekend's, I don't think it will. Uh, but otherwise, he's going to end up, you know, asking for Colin what to ask him about the Proclaimers. <laughs> now, Amy... Celtic B have been playing in the league pyramid this season. I think we've all been focused mainly on the first team, but the Celtic B team have been playing in the, the league pyramid. And uh, obviously we do cover as much as we can their progress and the progress of the Celtic women's team as well. But you've had another reason to be um, excited and involved and paying attention to the league that Celtic B have been in. Give us, in a nutshell, what happened at the weekend for your team, your other team. Is it yeah, your other so- team? Yeah, it's your other team. 
they're, you know, I, I'm not going to be working with them for much longer, but I'm still going to have to follow them for them, um, yeah, for the rest of my days. But yeah, so Bonner wrapped up the league quite a few weeks ago, to be honest. But it was Trophy Day on Saturday. Um, there's only one league uh, game left this weekend away at East Kilbride, so it was the last home game at uh, New Dundas Park. And you know, Trophy Day is just great, no matter where you are. Um, yeah, Trophy. Oh God. Did you get the ground topper? Did you get the ground topper coming up? One of the ground um, we've had we've had ground toppers yeah, earlier on in the season. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to remember what game that was. I don't know if it was an Rangers game, um, but we definitely had them. Yeah, because we had to change kickoff for them. It was crazily done. I think us East Houses, Dalkeith. Um, I think they might even got a Pennycook game in as well. Like, it was four or five games, and like fair play East of Scotland and all of that. You know, I think East Houses kicked off at like half seven at night instead just to allow them. Um, but they're a great bunch of guys. Um, and girls actually, um, but they are mostly guys. Um, and yeah, I, I think that's such a cool thing. I'd love to do something like that. And um, that's just you know genuine football fans. Um, but yeah, so it was trophy day at the weekend, and you know Bonnig have absolutely strolled it this season. Um, hoping not to be in the Lowland League next season, but it has been obviously confirmed that Celtic B and, and Rangers B will be as well. I've I've not really had how I feel about it. I don't personally agree with that. I think they've managed to, um, you know, buy themselves into the pyramid, well, buy themselves into tier five and non the non pyramid system really. Um, I think the integrity is a little bit in doubt there. So, yeah, the sides will obviously be in next season, but we've got to hope that Bonner won't be even despite being champions. This pyramid system that this SPFL have got going right now is fairly shambolic. I would say. I was saying to you beforehand. I think if you're a champion club, you should be promoted. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's the way. Not even if it was Bonnerig felt that last season with Kelly Hart, closer a lot closer to to you, Paul. Um, but the fact that Bonnerig still have maximum four games away from even making it into League Two, I think, is frightening. You know, two legs playoff against the Highland League, and then whoever wins that's a two leg playoff against what looks like will be Cowden Beef. You know, whoever's bottom off of League Two, and everything hands in favour of the the relegated club as such. You know, Cowden Beef will get. The, the second the second leg will be at home. Everything weighs in favour to try and keep them um, in the league. So it's it's an interesting one that the pyramid system. Um, you know there has been a lot, and you know I don't think the Lone League can hold their heads very high either. There's a lot of hypocrisy not opening up to to tier six. You know relegation has to be expanded in the Lone League. If you're wanting that at the top end in the League Two, you've got to allow east of Scotland, west of Scotland, south of Scotland, and you know your Auchinlecks, your Darvals through here, Pennycook, Trent, Linlithgow Rose, it's um, it's crazy that they can't get into this division, which is undoubtedly the, the division that they deserve to be in. You know, those clubs, just those in particular, Pollock as well, they invest a lot of money um, to try and beat the system, to get through the system, but it's an incredibly hard one to work your way through, which I think why you've got to give massive kudos to, you know, Kelly Hearts, they've just went up to League Two and won that by, you know, an absolute stormer. Um, and, and for the likes of Edinburgh City as well, Cove Rangers to do that over the years. Mm. There's a reason that there's not been too many clubs that do do it because it is so tricky. Um, but as you were kind of saying beforehand as well, you look at who's came down from that, you know, Brecon, East Stirlingshire, Berwick Rangers, they've never really challenged to get back up. Something severely has to change in, in Scottish football. I think now was the time there was this opportunity and the clubs within have actually, you know, turned their noses up at that. So there's a lot of uh, self-preservation going on in Scottish football. Um, and, you know, that that happens right from the top, right to the very bottom. Yeah, absolutely. No, great for the input. Thanks very much. And we won't talk about the trophy. It's a very nice trophy, in fact. Um, but just check, 
Sorry. It was a very nice trophy. It was a very nice trophy. <laughs> you want to expand on that, Amy? Uh, I may have broke the Lowland League trophy. Um, <laughs> I never done anything wrong. I never done anything wrong. I simply held it, but yeah, um, I will. Um, I will fix that. Wow, tremendous! So you smashed it, brilliant. Um, right, so big week ahead for Celtic as always. We've got the whole week to prepare, which I think is massive. And obviously, we will be back uh, tomorrow to preview the big game at the weekend. It's uh, potentially another step towards a treble in Ange Postecoglou's first season. Yeah, I know people are saying don't even mention that, don't hex it, but you know you've got to have the confidence, Yakimakis style, don't you? Um, Thank you, everybody, for getting involved in the comments section. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to the YouTube channel. We're growing it on a day-to-day basis. And you will be thrown in the mix for two tickets and also an Axom Concept jersey. Thank you also to Amy Canavan and Natasha Miko for joining me on A Celtic State of Mind. Network. Sports Social Podcast 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 Network.